Welcome back, everybody, to that podcast that is yet to be named, the podcast to be named later here on DK Sports Radio. I am Noah Hiles. He is... Alex Stump. Why is there always a delay? You know I'm going to queue it up. I'm pointing to you. I need you That was the lag. That was the lag. The the lag? Is that what we're blaming it on? We're blaming... I had the sun in my eyes. Uh, My little brother took control of the Wi-Fi, you know, all right, yeah, there's, there's a million excuses. We're off to a, a rough start, similar to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Look at that. <laughs> That's Look a transition. That. Yes. Take, take note, everybody listening. That's how you transition. Um, Pittsburgh Pirates 1-2 and two to start off the season, the 60-game season. Alex, you want to give me the numbers crunch? I know everyone's given the fractions now. What's that, what's that equate to? 2.7 and 8.1 on the year? 8. Is that right? Nice head math. Look at that. I'm not a math guy, but I am sometimes. Uh, one and two on the year. Could be worse. Could be a lot better. Um, first part of the show, we're just going to talk about the first series of the season, St. Louis. Um, some good stuff, some very bad stuff. And overall, like we said, could be worse, could be better. Alex, your takeaways immediately on the first three games for the Buccos. My first takeaway is the starting pitching which I know it's going to sound, well, wait a minute. Trevor Williams gave up three runs over 5.2. There weren't any quality starts. Just in general, I saw a lot of good out of those starting pitchers. Like Trevor, his night, he got blooped to death in one inning, and then he gave up the homer to Goldie, which was a high 0-2 fastball whenever he just missed the glove. It was, it, it, I know every pitcher says, you know, I made one bad pitch and, you know, it got hit out of the yard. But that start, it really did look like he only made one or two bad pitches. And that one just happened to go a mile. Uh, so I, I think what Joe Musgrove did, the velocity wasn't quite there. But he kind of admitted that, you know, he wasn't perfect with the mechanics, but he liked how he was executing pitches. I could see that. Oh, Williams, the curveball he was mixing in. Mitch Keller, another guy, velocity wasn't quite there. The breaking ball wasn't quite there. But you know what? It's an impressive start in that he doesn't have his best stuff, and he's still able to navigate a tough lineup through five innings. And if it wasn't for a a really bad play in the field where Colin Moran shouldn't have taken the ball at first base, Keller should have been, you know, covering the bag anyway. He could have made a stronger – but there were like five things that went wrong in that play for that one run. Overall – that was the starting pitching impressed in general. And just overall, I mean, this was always going to be a tough series facing Flaherty, facing Wainwright, facing Hudson, who is a decent pitcher in his own right, actually above decent. He's a, he's a pretty good pitcher in his own right. One and two, it could have gone a whole lot worse, but you know, this season is going to come down to like seriously 15 plate appearances. 15 or so plate appearances. And in that first game, if Richard Rodriguez doesn't give up that two-run homer, we're talking about the two-and-one Pittsburgh Pirates right now. Yeah. That, it, that's one of the time of one of those 15, it didn't go their way. They need to get most of those plate appearances to go their way if they want to finish, you know, hovering around 500 and maybe earn that one of those wild card spots. And that's that was my first point is Friday was encouraging despite the loss where there were there was a lot that after that game – you could say, okay, you know, this, this team might not be as bad as we thought it was going to be if you were a pessimistic Pirates fan, which there are many. Um, Musgrove looked good. The, the fight 
that they showed. I feel like we're always talking about that. This this Pirates team's got fight. That's what Greg Brown always says, you know, in the in the seventh or eighth inning. Like no other team comes back when they're down a couple of runs. But in all seriousness, you're right. I mean, if Rich Rod doesn't allow that two run homer, this that's a different ball game. And you know, you you could make the argument, okay, well maybe they would have went different with the bullpen. But no, they brought in their closer. That was the best arm that they would have brought in regardless if they were up by three runs or one run. So no, that, that was the thing. And those runs came quick too. That wasn't like a pressure situation or anything that, that correct me if I'm wrong. They scored those two runs in the ninth inning before recording an out. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, mean, that I was, believe so. Yeah. Saturday was a train wreck. It was a train wreck when your backup catcher is your, is the only reason you got to run. I read DK's story and just his breakdown of <laughs> How the Pirates got their offense. I mean, it was just comical. It was just tough to, yeah. And then, um, but today is very encouraging. It's it's encouraging, or not today. You're listening to this on Monday. But Sunday was encouraging. It was encouraging after seeing one extra base hit in the first two games of the year to see multiple home runs. It's encouraging to see Colin Moran and, and Jose Asuna, two guys that had some question marks on them coming into the season, Performing well at the plate, Josh Bell is producing. And those are just a couple of guys. And like you said, Mitch Keller, someone who is so important to this Pirates team, not just this year, but years and years down the line. For him to, I would argue, that's probably his best start in his major league career. Yeah, I mean, nah, not quite his best start in his major league career. I liked how he finished last year. But going back to Saturday in the How many offense, strikeouts did he have? Not a ton. Not a ton. I can't remember. I don't have it in front of me. From now on, I'm going to have it in front of me so I can, you know, make reference to. But going back to Saturday and that, you know, John Ryan Murphy being all the offense, it was two plate appearances, really. Pirates were really close to breaking that game open and, you know, really breaking through. It was Cole Tucker swinging at the first pitch, popping it up, not doing anything with the bases loaded and less than two outs. He did pretty much the one thing you couldn't do because how many times is Cole Tucker going to ground into a double play? So even if he puts it on the ground, there's a really good chance that, you know, at least one run's coming home. But then the, that 2-1 pitch to, to uh, Newman, Molina framed it, got it back in, made a 2-2 instead of 3-1. Then Newman had to chase a pitch to the fence. That, that inning was so close to being big. There's fight in this team. They're a loose group they all seem to it's I know they say you know anything can happen in a 60 game sprint well they actually do look like they are buying that that anything can happen in a 60 game sprint it's it's not the best way to start the season but I don't think that 9-1 game was you know as big a blowout as the scoreline would indicate it was a good quality win on Sunday it was a hard hard fought game on Friday this isn't, you know, one of the worst teams in baseball like some people make them out to be. This is a team that has some good pieces. And once you mix in, you know, Brian Reynolds finally getting a couple hits, you know, getting stuff from the top of the lineup, man, that, that's where they really struggled this series. They couldn't get anything going one, two, three. And you can't rely on the back end of the seven, eight, nine to do a whole lot right now. All right. So let's go through, uh, through the first series. Give me your top three players. Uh, in no particular order. Your three stars, since this is a my, hockey My three stars, well. yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, then my 
third star would be Nick Birdie for just how absolutely disgusting he was in that ninth inning today or Sunday. Uh, second star I will give to Phil Evans, who I didn't see that really coming, but a nice three-hit game, and uh, he really looked well. And then first star Jose Osuna, who, who missed in between, but you know really broke open Sunday's game with that monster homer off the Hudson sinker. Came through in the ninth inning with a good piece of hitting on that single with two runners in scoring position. A lot of good at-bats in this opening series. My three star is different than your three. Uh, number three, Mitch Keller. Best outing out of the three pitchers so far. Uh, five innings of solid work. You'd like to see more strikeouts, like I said. Uh, I don't know if you caught it. Two, just two strikeouts on Sunday. But still, I mean, it's his, it's his first time being a regular in the rotation to start a season. And he has a lot more pressure on him this year than he did compared to what he had going on last year. And – you know, 0-3 is a tough start in a 60-game season. And for him to come out, put his foot down, and get the Pirates their first win, get Shelton his first win as a manager, that's that's big. So I give Mitch Keller. And an honorable mention, JT Brubaker, Brubaker looked really good today. Oh, I probably should have made Brubaker my third star. But I'm it's okay. Yeah, Brubaker, I'll, I'll, Brubaker's the third star now. Yeah, that, that's good Good on him. He, he two, two solid innings of relief there. Um, number two, Colin Moran. My guy yeah, is, is the only consistent offense this team has had so far. Uh, just hitting the ball well, first home run of the season. He's, he leads them in every offensive category so far. Uh, many are surprised. I'm not, like I said. It's my be- that's my boy. That's my best friend. He told me this was going to happen, and I believed him. No, he didn't tell me that. Uh, but, <laughs> no, good for Colin Moran. He's hitting the ball well, and that's someone that if the Pirates are going to stay competitive, you're going to need You're gonna need your Colin Morans. You're going to need your Jose as soon as to step up. I agree 100%. And one thing that really impressed me Sunday about Colin Moran is that first plate appearance, he was fooled really bad on two sliders. And that's why he struck out uh, in, in that second plate appearance. He was battling with fastballs in that part of the zone, and then Hudson went with the slider, same part, hung just a little bit, bam, went went a million miles, it felt like, or looked like, actually like 400 feet. But it was a good piece of hitting. He stayed back on the pitch. It's a sign of maturity. And also, you want to talk about sign of maturity. How about that double off a lefty in the ninth inning? Who saw that coming? Single tier. Coming right down my eye. Um, and then the best pirate of the season so far, I'm giving it to Jacob Stallings. Just the way he's framed, yeah. the, way he's, the way he's worked with the starting pitching staff. Um, some, I, everyone gave Musgrove a lot of credit on that throw when he threw out Wong on the Little League home run. But I thought uh, Stallings did a good job of getting the tag down there. He's had some good hits as well. Uh, just an overall, he's been a productive player. He's probably been, you know, I want to say Moran's been the best player for the Pirates, but Moran's made some tough plays in the field already this year. So Stallings has been great in the field, and he's been slightly above average at the plate, which if that's what he can do throughout the entire season is going to be more than what most expected from him and more than what we could have probably hoped from him. So good, for, good on him. Jacob Stallings, great three, or great two games. He didn't play on Saturday, but great, great in both of his starts, I think. 
I like how we had three very different stars, you know, right off the top. Because there's going to be some week in the season where Brian Reynolds, you know, hits 500 with a couple homers and be like, oh, it was Brian Reynolds. That was or Josh Bell, you know, hits like four homers in a series and we're like, yeah, it's no doubt. Yeah, it's going to be something like that. But no, I like that. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll round this out. Three not so great players i don't want to say like terrible but you know three not so great players who do you got i've got see i know two that popped up into my mind immediately i'm trying to think of that that third one i'll go first okay um number three i have a tie kevin newman and brian reynolds uh i'm not gonna act like either one of them is gonna have a horrible year this year just because they didn't have a productive series at the plate but one hit between the two of them and those are your guys at the top of the order. So, you know, you need, you need something and I get it. I mean, I'm not, again, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm worried about either one. I expect both of them to have a great year, especially Reynolds, but one hit between the two of them in the first three games of the season, they're tied at number three. Uh, Number two, and you could switch out these two, however you want, but Richard Rodriguez and Kyle Crick. This is, I feel like we're talking about 2019. The same two guys who came up in May in 2018 and set the National League on fire with how productive they were out of the bullpen uh, were not good last year. Rich Rod had moments when he came back up from AAA. But, I mean, this is – they did not look good. I I don't know how they looked in spring training. I wasn't covering the team. They did not look good in the training camp or summer training camp or whatever you want to call it, games against the Indians. And they did not look good. They did not look good. Crick got rocked. He looked like a goof on the mound trying to field baseballs. And and Rich Rod – I mean, that was something – my dad and I were texting Friday. And he said when – it was a one-run game. He said, this is where they bring in Rodriguez, and he allows a two-run homer, and that happened. And then it was when I was exiting progressive field, I texted him. I said, they're going to lose this game 5-4. to four. And, <laughs> and sure enough, that's exactly what happened. It's like we've seen it a million times. And I, I, like I said with, with Reynolds and Newman, I'm not writing these guys off yet. I'm just not going to do it. It's too early. But – it, it looked like 2019 all over again with that duo. Alex, who are, your, who are your three to worry about or three disappointments from the opening series? Uh, I'm going to go with Robbie Erlin in the three spot. I don't really have much to say. It just wasn't good. It was bad. It was just a bad outing from someone who needs to be, you know, a key part of the bullpen because right now the only other lefty in there is Nick Turley, and Turley looked good. But I don't know how much faith you can put into a guy like that who's barely pitched, you know, the last two years. How many eggs you can put in that basket. Number two is Rodriguez. And the reason why I'm not going Rodriguez and Crick is at least Crick didn't give up hard contact. We, we could talk about the field. He shot talk himself about that, in the foot. I, I, he did shoot himself in the foot. But, you know, whenever you go looking forward, it's like, all right, here's a guy who I think the hardest exit velocity he allowed was 76 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Who cares? It's that's Kyle Crick's bread and butter. He doesn't get a ton of strikeouts compared to other relievers, but what he does better than just about anyone in baseball, whenever he's on, is getting that soft contact. He got that, 
Rich Rod really missed the glove on that home run pitch. Velocity is still down. There's all the difference in the world. I know I've said this before between Richard Rodriguez hitting, you know, that glove side high corner with a 93 mile per hour fastball and missing his part of the zone with a 90 or 91. Those are two very different relievers right there. And then the most disappointing would be Kevin Newman, not necessarily just for the offense, but there were a couple times, especially in that Friday game where he just could not make the throw. I mean, that double play ball, he had a weird angle. I'm not going to fault him for that. But the double clutch for the infield hit, there was the ball that it was going to be tough, but he threw away. And if he would have ate it, he would have saved the base instead of throwing it in the dugout. It just wasn't a good day for him in the field. At least Reynolds brought value in the field, especially on Sunday, whenever he threw out Goldie, who was trying to stretch a single into a double. And then the next inning, uh, he fired a strike to home and the runner had to hold on third because he wasn't going to test Reynolds' arm right there. Reynolds really showed good defense. He walked a couple times. He drove a couple balls to the warning track. The hits will come. It, it was a whatever series. And it's probably not fair to put Newman in number one, but yeah, I'm, I, I will. Alex Stumpf, noted hard ass, putting Newman <laughs> in the top spot. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at what's on uh, tap for the Pirates this week. They've got a couple of big series ahead, and every series is big. Every series is meaningful, especially when two of them are against your division rivals. So we're going to, we're going to preview those, maybe not even preview those, but discuss those and what's coming up for the Bucks after this quick break. All right, second half of the show, let's take a look at what's in front of the Pirates as they move forward. Today, home opener. Who's going? Make some noise if you're going to the home opener. Uh... That's, that's pretty much every <laughs> single person listening to this podcast. You just accounted for it. That was a <laughs> weird, weird noise you just made, Alex, but whatever. Um, home opener and on the bump for the Buckos this evening against the Milwaukee Brewers will be Stephen Brault. Uh, and the piggyback for a little bit for a little bit yes he will be one of many pitchers on the bump one of two scheduled Alex what's your expectation that we'll just start here for Stephen Brawl and for this piggybacking how late in the game is the goal for this duo to go are we looking three and three are we looking four and two are we looking three and four the way I see it is Six innings between these two, one way or another. What say you? I think that's about fair. Uh, the most brought pitched in any of the intra-squads is three innings. So maybe you can stretch them out into the fourth potentially. But eh. as for Cool, I think he's maxed out at either two or three also. So I think, I think we're looking at about six innings from those two. With the expanded rosters, that's fine. Uh, they're probably going to need to find a way to work out at least a seventh inning if this is a strategy they want to keep going. You keep using going forward. But yeah, as for as far as expectations go, Brault turned in a couple good starts against the Brewers last year, multiple good starts against them. And whatever you factor in that he's only got to face this lineup once, one and a half times – you think, all right, that's going to be, you know, uh, three quality innings out of the bunch. And 
there's not a ton of lefties in that Milwaukee lineup anymore. I mean, they have the big one. They have the big one in Yelich. Yeah. Which they have the yeah. lefty. Yeah. They have the lefty in baseball, but they don't have a whole lot besides him. So again, Chad Cole, I don't know if this is going to be the same Chad Cole, if they're going to still be the same platoon problem, split problems that he had uh, back in 2018. I don't know if the curveball is going to neutralize that a little more. If, you know, just not having to worry about facing the lineup that second or third time as much is going to help alleviate those splits. If Brault's dealing, do you think he gets to face everybody in the lineup twice? Or is he just done after the fourth regardless? No, no, he's... I the fourth would be the absolute most. I think like it's if he has, more if likely he that it's perfect innings. four innings. They're not going to let him pitch a fifth. No, no, they've already talked about it. They've talked to the pitchers about it. Like, look, you're gonna you're gonna pitch this many, and you know this is kind of playing off an old Mike Sosha-ism, where if you know there was a pitcher who was struggling, he would go up to them and say, "Hey, you're pitching five innings today. I don't care if you're pitching a perfect game." You're going to throw five innings today. That's your, that's your max. And if you get hit a little bit, I'm going to try to keep you in there so you pitch your five innings. It, and those pitchers usually ended up doing good, A, because, you know, they knew they could go a little harder with each of their pitches because they don't have to go to the sixth or seventh. But they also minimize those, you know, plate appearances that third time through. So I think this is going to be kind of encapsulated on that. Like, look, Steven, you're going to go three innings no matter what. I don't care if you got a perfect – game going and he have a guy who's gonna throw you know he's gonna leave everything out there in those three innings so maybe the stuff plays up a little more maybe it's more uh, more akin to kind of like a relief pitcher like how they get you know a couple extra miles per hour on their stuff so maybe Brault's stuff ticks up a bit so uh looking looking at the schedule this week it's it's Milwaukee at home, and then back on the road to two games in Wrigley, right? Three games. Three games in Wrigley. Three games in Wrigley, and then and then you go to Minnesota. Yep. Those aren't easy teams. Those are two teams no. that made the playoffs last year and one team that didn't make the playoffs but is loaded with a lineup that can hit the ball very hard. And Wrigley is simply not a place where the Pirates have had success lately. So – Looking at these games, I think it's all together 10 games. Their next 10 mm-hmm. games, there's, there's two on the road in Minnesota, two at home in Minnesota, three at home against the Brewers, three on the road against the Cubs. Before they face a team, I don't want to say on their level, because I think they are better than the Detroit Tigers, but a team that's in the lower tier of talent right now, a rebuilding team, if you will. Games they should win. Yes, games they should win. Thank you. I, I, I could not get the words out. Um, what do they have to do in these 10 games? What are, what, what, how many do they need to win to, to remain in the conversation? What's the number? I think the absolute bare, bare, bare minimum would be five. Or like five and eight going into that Detroit series. So that would be a four and six stretch. That is the absolute bare, skin of your teeth, bare bones. I said all along if they could escape this 13-game stretch with six or seven wins, then it's, okay, wait a minute, season's a quarter over, and they're in the hunt, and the hardest part of their schedule's behind them. So I think that's going to be the big thing. Like, can they win? Can they go five and five in these next ten games? I think that's the magic number. Because quite bluntly, I'm – having it penciled in 
that that eighth wild card seed is going to go 30 and 30. Maybe it's 29 and 31. Maybe it's 31 and 29. But it, 30 and 30 is basically it. And honestly, that's kind of the morale successful season for the Pirates. I know it's kind of ridiculous to have that as, you know, the, the circle. Like, if they win the eighth seed and they get, you know, absolutely destroyed by the Dodgers, that is a really successful season If they, as long as on top of that. What really matters is the learning what's in the system getting people to improve, taking that step for 2021 and beyond. That's by far the most important. But if you want some a good morale win to maybe drag some fans back into this, you know, back into Pirates baseball, like, hey, this is a new regime. It's a new era. We know it's kind of – last year's kind of a fluke, but look at that. We went the whole season, and we stuck around the entire time. That eighth seed, you know, just getting in is the big morale win, I think, for this and year. To build off your point – Regardless of when the season started, competitive September baseball counts the same when you're developing young talent. You know, if you can get these young guys like Reynolds and Newman and Keller pitching in those games where it's coming down the stretch and every win and loss changes your position in the overall standings and you're, you're, you know, one or two swings away from either going to the playoffs or your season ending – that's huge. And to be relevant. And it's easier now to be relevant in the final month of the season compared to before. A, because the season's shorter. And B, because more teams get into the playoffs. Nonetheless, the playoffs still give you a chance to win the World Series. And you need to get in. You, you want to get in. So to have that ability, to have that chance still existing in September, to be relevant in September is, like you said, it's huge for this team that's looking, they're not necessarily rebuilding, not yet anyway, but they're, they're, they're a new wave of an of a organization with, with a new manager, with a new front office, with a lot of new guys stepping up in bigger roles, some of them starting for the first time. That would be huge. And like you said, these, these 10 games coming up are going to really determine if they're out before they're even it, have a chance to get involved, or if they can stick around and then maybe catch some wins over teams that they're better than or just as good as and have a chance to make some noise. And I agree, five is the number. Just going 500. And like you said, Alex, staying 500 this year will come with rewards. I I, I think that applies more to the American League than the National League where we talked about on Friday's show how the AL so so top-heavy. There are a lot more better clubs. There are a lot of good clubs, not great clubs in the National League. So they might not make the playoffs with a 500 record, but they will be relevant if they are 500 through 60 games. And that's just all they got to do is stay one or one game under 500, around that range. If you win one day, or if you lose one day, you just got to win the next day. That's how you got to look at it. And – I think these home games, getting a chance to play at PNC Park, I mean, a home field advantage is different in 2020 where you might not have fans, but traveling in general in 2020 is stressful. You're about to find that out. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> travel in general is stressful. You have mental things going through your head when you're touching a railing or when you're walking into a new city or anything. Well, who's been, who's been here? You know, and when you're sleeping in your own bed at night, you're probably playing a little bit more loose. So these games against the Brewers these next three days, starting today, are a big chance for the Pirates because it's the first time Milwaukee's been on the road 
or no, Milwaukee, excuse me. No, they have not. They've been in Chicago, but it's, you know, Milwaukee's coming to the East Coast. They're still on the road. Pirates, first time at home. Get some wins. If they win two out of three, this podcast is going to be buzzing. I'll tell you that. Uh, So, Alex, as we wrap it up, looking around baseball, first weekend of baseball, great to have it back. I'm losing bets. I'm watching every single game on MLB TV that I can. Um, I forgot my roommate still has a subscription. So I, I'm, yeah, I've been streaming. Like I was out uh, golfing, listening to different games on the radio while I was golfing this weekend. I was at the lake, uh, my friend's boat. Um, Saturday night, we were having a campfire. I was watching the, the Diamondbacks and Padres. I'm just watching anything. I'm, 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 I'm overdosing on baseball. I've been watching a lot. I don't, I don't know if you've been watching other games uh, as much as I have or if it's just been the Pirates for you, but what are some of your biggest, most notable moments since baseball's return? Not just uh, around the league. Around the league, just some quick hitters around uh, the, the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter. Uh, tributes and movements that have been going around. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon wrote that, and you know, like I said, I I wish a I was a good. I wish I was as good a baseball player as Andrew McCutcheon was a writer, because I I would have you know been able to play professionally at that point, rather than having the career die on the vine in little league, uh, if you could call it dying on the vine. Um, that first game against the nationals and Yankees <laughs> and Manfred giving that, you know, kind of uncomfortable smile as lightning is in the background. If that's not the perfect way to encapsulate 2020, I don't know what is uh, Dr. Fauci's first pitch. And you want to talk about a career that, you know, not, not the best. Uh, <laughs> it was, that's like, so like not to get political. All right. But, I hear people talking about, I don't remember much about 9-11, all right? I was six when it happened. But my dad always tells me how George Bush, when he threw out the first pitch after that, how, like, that was, like, such a powerful moment. Like, he threw that strike, and he was like, I knew I couldn't bounce it. And whatever your opinions are on George W. Bush, I really don't care, to be honest with you. (laughs) Um, Again, I was a child during his presidency, so I don't have many of them regardless. But... I know that like him throwing a strike there was like something everyone was like, yes, like that was awesome. You know, good for him. Good for America. Woohoo. Uh, Fauci was like, curb your enthusiasm music. Like that was <laughs> damn funny, man. That was tough to watch, but Hey, I think Fauci's doing a great job. I got, I got his back still. And I'm glad he got to, to stick around and watch his nationals play. Um, some moments that, did you have any more? No, those were the big ones. Some moments, I mean, actual actual game stuff is. Just some moments sense. for me, real quick. Shane Bieber, fourteen strikeouts uh, yeah. with no runs, no earned runs allowed. That's a MLB opening day record. Fourteen strikeouts, the most uh, pitcher has had on opening day since Randy Johnson in nineteen ninety six. He did that um, two months before Shane Bieber's one year first birthday. So that's some people just, would say some people would say that Shane Bieber was 10 months old whenever that happened, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> You're better with words than me. What do you want? Um, <laughs> uh, Fauci's first, but Daniel Bard getting back to the majors. 
Yeah, insane. Awesome. Insane. Like seven years? Six, At least. Yeah, it was like over a thousand days or something. Um, a thousand games or something that had been played since he last played in the big leagues or something like that. I read that's that's awesome. Um, and then to Sunday, Choi. I forget his first name, the, the first baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays, who's a very interesting character. If you don't know a lot about him, read about it. He's got like some very – he's got a very unique personality. And I guess he's been asking Rays, um, be it the manager or front office, if he could try being a switch hitter. And they're like, hey, man, you're pretty good left-handed. Why don't you just stick to that? Well, to, on Sunday, they let, they let him bat right-handed. First at bat as a right-hander, went yard. Went yard. So, I mean, Choi has more home runs as of on Sunday than Brian Reynolds has hits. That's 2020 in a nutshell right there. It's, a, it's wild. So We're in the backyard, you and me, for wiffle ball. We have to both swing left-handed. I'm, I'm, how, pretty, good. I'm pretty good hitting left-handed. I, I can't. I was strictly right-handed. I, so, yeah, as I, like in wiffle ball, backyard, I never batted left-handed in a game mostly because my dad was my coach growing up and wouldn't allow it. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I – like, in batting cages now, like, when I go, like, with my friends or whatever, I can hit – like, I'll go in, like, the fast cage and I can hit left-handed and right-handed. I, I like my swing right-handed. I just cannot get the mechanics down left-handed. You strike me as a guy who was his, – his biggest skill in Little League was getting hit by pitches. It, it, I was. I was also, like, four <laughs> foot nothing, so I was – I, I had like the 50 batting average in the 400 OBP that I could play a mean second base. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, if you ever watched the original bad news bears, my little league career, I was similar to Tanner. Um, I was a scrapper. I was a scrappy little guy. <laughs> no, uh, but anyway, as we wrap it up, hope you enjoyed the show. If you have, we, we can't read comments uh, because there was no show the day prior um, Sunday lineups is is no more it's just gonna be a weekday show and that's not gonna be our name though it's still a show to be named later so we need your show suggestions keep commenting we love what we're seeing i honestly at this point i just want to see how many more suggestions could come i can't wait to read what they're gonna be like in in september when they're just gonna oh, come be on things that we're, we have to like put it birdie puns <laughs> But we have to not not say we're going to put a cutoff on it, but we can't ask like, "Hey, in September, we still could change the name." That would be so funny. We'll see that how would be it goes. So mean. That would be Before so mean. I'm Noah Hiles signing off, saying we'll see you tomorrow on the podcast to be named later.